Thank you for joining us on the Sword and Trial today, and we want to thank especially our Founders Alliance members whose generosity and support enable us to put out content like this on this podcast and the other things that we do through Founders. Today, Graham and I are talking about the cultural mandate and what that means for us, especially in light of the incarnation. What does it mean to be someone who is in Christ, who wants to be serious about living in this world the way that God's called us to live for his glory. So if that's of interest to you, we hope that you'll listen and we hope that you'll pass this around as well. Uh, Like this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platforms, and we are grateful that you've joined us today. Welcome to The Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. We're delighted to have you join us today. We are here in very sunny and very humid Cape Coral, Florida, Mm -hmm. and are glad that you have taken time to listen in on a conversation that Graham and I are having. Uh, We've been talking about the cultural mandate and what does it mean to live well in this world How do people who know God and want to honor God uh, go about doing that? Is there only one track? Are there only three or four things that you can do to glorify God? Or is there a much broader understanding of our place in the world as image bearers who have been redeemed by Christ? So, uh, Graham, does the cultural mandate uh, still obtain for us today? Um, It depends on who you ask. But (laughs) if you're asking me, I certainly would say yes. Um, and what, know, what do you mean by a cultural mandate? Let's not assume that yeah. we can just start from... Yeah, sometimes it's referred to as the dominion mandate that mm-hmm. we see in Genesis 1 and then also in Genesis 2 that Adam is given in the Garden of Eden uh, to take dominion, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, the earth, to subdue it. Mm-hmm. Um, this is basically the call to Adam to expand the borders of the Garden of Eden, this garden paradise, over the whole world. Um, and especially when you think about the Garden of Eden as being... Uh, this dwelling place of God where man lives with God um, and Adam is supposed to make the whole earth this almost a temple mm-hmm. for to God um, and all of his descendants with him. And so there's in that um, the church has traditionally seen this cultural mandate to uh, not merely have children and to multiply and fill the face of the earth, but then also to create, to um to imitate God's work of creation. You know, we can't create ex nihilo as God does, but we take the, the raw materials that God has made and we fashion new things out of that. And we've mm-hmm. been doing that. I, I, you know, mankind um, is that by necessity. We mm-hmm. are cultural creatures. Um, and so we write poetry, we build our beautiful architecture, we write music, we tell stories. Um, all this is a part of culture building. And this is the dominion mandate. This is the culture mandate that God gave Adam in the garden before the fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that's one of the big questions. You know, yeah. After <laughs> the fall, is that dominion mandate still in place? And, um, <clears throat> and I think the, the folks who question that in the best light are not suggesting that, oh, no, there's no place for uh, building houses well or uh, doing your job well or mm-hmm. promoting security and safety where you can. All, all those things, everybody, every right-thinking Christian would agree, of course. You know, we want to see that uh, happen in our world, uh, both in the local dimensions of it and expri- uh, broadening out mm-hmm. to the universal dimensions to the best of our ability. However, for a Christian, what should a Christian be thinking about? How should a Christian yeah. think about his or her time 
and what do you invest your time in? Are you going to just uh, uh, polish the brass as the Titanic sinks mm. you know, and try to build culture in a way that would be beautiful and good and right? You know it's all going to burn. That's all going to burn. It's all going down. Or are, are you going to do what's really important that'll last forever, and that is to evangelize, make disciples? Mm-hmm. And um, those are those are false oppositions. Those, those yeah. are not mutually exclusive mm-hmm. to try to pit those things against one another. But, of course, anytime you're talking to or with Bible-believing Christians, those who who historically have been known as evangelicals, so we believe the gospel, we believe it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, and you're talking about making disciples, well, of course. Mm-hmm. We want to see people come to Christ. And so if you're talking about that in uh, an imprecise way and comparing it to other things, well, the... The default mode, you know, the intuition is going to always be, well, of course, you know, would you rather make a shoe or make a disciple? Mm -hmm. Would you rather see somebody come to Christ or plant a tree? You know, those are no brainer answers, but those are not setting up the categories of this argument Mm -hmm. in a helpful way. Yeah. I think there are two events in redemptive history that help us to understand uh, the importance of the cultural mandate for Christians today. The first is the flood. Uh, because there are those who would say that the cultural mandate is no longer in effect today uh, because it, of the fall. We've lost that. Adam failed to be able to fulfill that. So therefore, it's no longer mm-hmm. um, our responsibility or something that we're required to do. Um, but in Genesis 6 through 9, in Noah's flood, um, God comes into covenant with Noah and basically restates the cultural mandate. It gives it to Noah, slightly different language, but mm-hmm. he's, it's, it's as if he's reestablishing a covenant that was given previously to Adam. And you can even see that in the language there. Um, but it's in light of the fall. It's now because death has entered into the world. This is what this dominion mandate should look like. And God gives this covenant, this mandate to Noah and then all of his seed after him. And who would that be? I mean, that would be everybody, yeah, right? Right. Uh, similar to, to all of Adam's seed. And so, yes, absolutely. The dominion mandate, the cultural mandate is still in effect today. Uh, though we are living in a fallen world and it looks different for us mm-hmm. than, it, than it looked for Adam. And it is impossible for, for human beings to just fulfill as Adam was required to fulfill it. We can't do it right. because we live in a fallen world. The second event in redemptive history, the most important rede- redemptive uh, event, is the incarnation and the way that that influences and shows us the way that we ought to think about the cultural mandate. Um, Where the first Adam failed in his dominion, the first Adam failed in um, spreading culture and cultivating the earth so that it would be like the garden. So the second Adam succeeds in every place where the first Adam failed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second Adam has dominion, has been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. You know, you think about that dominion language, it's it's language of reigning, it's language of ruling. Adam was to be a king. He failed, yet the second king comes, and he doesn't fail at that which he attempts to do. Um, and so Christ comes, and he will take dominion. He is taking dominion. Um, and I think that we see this uh, dominion mandate kind of revamped again then after the car- incarnation in the new covenant. As he says, all authority, all dominion in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples. Mm-hmm. And so the cultural mandate is, uh, for the Christian, uh, transformed. It's not something that 
uh, is merely earthly, um, a merely kind of a physical thing, but it also is very much a spiritual thing as well. But the other question is then, does this, does this command to go and make disciples, to evangelize and to be involved in missions and to be involved in discipleship, does that then negate all the other cultural work? Right. Christians shouldn't be involved in the cultural work. And I would say that, no, for the Christian, the cultural work is still necessitated, mm-hmm. but the incarnation and um, the Christian becoming a new creation transforms that cultural work so that it's no longer merely um, planting gardens and building cars and buildings, and all, but like that stuff actually becomes kingdom work. That's right. Because it happens in the kingdom of Christ, and it actually has eternal value. Yeah, when Christians do it, mm-hmm. when Christians do it, and so it's not you know, grace does not cancel nature, mm-hmm. but it perfects it. That's right, completes it. That's right, and so this is a this is an important argument that's a part of a much larger consideration. So this obligation that God gave to His image bearers to represent him in the world and to keep his commandments, that's obligatory on everybody, whether you know God or not, whether you Mm -hmm. believe there is a God or not. And included in that is this responsibility to do what God called Adam to do to the earth. And so you you get a guy like a Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, and you see the things that they do that are incredible that actually benefit so many areas of life. There's so Mm -hmm. many good things that we can see that have come out of um, their industrious creativity, Mm -hmm. which is a reflection on the true God. And we we thank God for it in, in the ways that we're able to see benefit come from it. But for them, uh, that's not acceptable to God. God doesn't look at all the genius of Bill Gates or their Steve Jobs or Elon Musk and say, look at what they've done, man. That is really acceptable to me. Mm-hmm. And the reason is not because they haven't done things that are good in relative ways, but they haven't done it in Christ. Mm-hmm. And the only way that any work is acceptable to God is if it's done in Christ. And whenever... <clears throat> any work is done in Christ. If you never create um, uh, a, a computer chip out of silicon, if, if you never uh, take advantage of energy in order to promote efficiency, if you never do those, those world-altering events, if what you do is change dirty diapers for 12 years of your life as you're raising little kids, if you're doing it in Christ and you're doing it for the honor and glory of God, and you're trying to honor what the Bible tells you to be and how you are to live in the sphere where God's placed you, then yes, your mm-hmm. works are acceptable mm-hmm. to God. Not because you do it perfectly, but because you're doing it in Christ. And that is a part of your calling to fulfill the responsibility that God's given you in his world. Hey, this is Daryl Harrison, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, and just want to let you know that the second in our trilogy of books with Founders Press is fast approaching being available to you. It's called Just Thinking About Ethnicity. Just Thinking About Ethnicities. Pre-orders are available right now at press.founders.org. That's press.founders.org. You can go there right now and pre-order Just Thinking About Ethnicity. The book will ship in January 20. 24. Just thinking about ethnicity, go to press.founders.org to pre-order today. I 
and to kind of situate this in conversations about biblical theology, <clears throat> you know, on the one hand, if you're looking at a spectrum, you kind of have the radical two kingdoms theology. And on the other hand, other end of the spectrum, you've got theonomy. Um, and we're kind of somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I have a lot of, lot of sympathy to, um, and a lot of friends who are uh, two kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the incarnation um, helps us to see the way in which these two kingdoms, and the, the two kingdoms are the kingdom of creation. I mean, they're called different things, but kingdom of creation, so this world that we live mm-hmm. in, and the kingdom of redemption. Uh, the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. the way in which the incarnation c- brings these two kingdoms together in a new creation in yeah. the church, um, and so that the 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 work that the Christian does in the kingdom of creation is actually kingdom of God work. Yeah, um, and and it it makes one wonder, and I don't have all the answers for this, but it makes one wonder about the things that the Christian does um, in this world when he fulfills the cultural mandate. What of those things are taken into the new heavens and to the in the new earth? Is it just everything? Is it just going to be a blank slate? Everything's going to be wiped clean, and we're just going to kind of reboot in the new heavens and new earth. I think about, for instance, Bach, um, who everything that we know, he was a Christian. You know, he signed Soli Deo Gloria mm-hmm. at the end of all of his uh, manuscripts. You know, Bach living in the new heavens and the new earth. Will he have just forgotten all of the music that he wrote when he lived? in this age um, or will it, will it be something that he carries with them into the new heavens and the new earth that we will be able to appreciate and enjoy in a new redeemed and sanctified way and in, in a glorified way yeah. so that it'll be even more beautiful than the way, than when we listen to it here in this, on this earth. Yeah. And uh, at the end of <clears throat> revelation 21, we're, we're given a glimpse of this. Again, we wish there were more explanation. I do. But uh, as John is recording there, that there won't be a temple in that eternal city of God because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are there. No need of sun or moon because the glory of God gives light there, and then the lamp is the Lamb. And then it says, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Kings mm-hmm. of the earth will bring their glory into this eternal city of God. Okay, I don't know all that that means, but it means something that mm-hmm. we need to be thinking about in terms of uh, how how does it relate to the work done in Christ for God's glory mm-hmm. that represents the presence of the kingdom in this world right now, in this fallen world. How does that relate to eternity? And mm-hmm. yeah, to, to think of, no, everything's just going to be wiped out and start over. Um Verses like this should at least give us pause mm-hmm. and make us stop and consider it. So, yeah, I, I would say that the uh, um, the analogy or the New Testament uh, further revelation of the Old Testament dominion mandate is the Great Commission. So mm-hmm. here's Jesus, the incarnate God in flesh, uh, who says this, all authority has been given unto me, and he tells us to go and make disciples, but he includes in that teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Mm -hmm. So part of the new covenant understanding of our mandate is to bring people into a saving knowledge of God through faith in Christ, teaching them what it means to live in God's world as those who've been born of God's spirit and are trusting in God's son. Well, what does that include? 
Well, it includes things like uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Mm-hmm. It includes things like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, or as Peter uh, says as, as well in 1 Peter 2.12. So we're not done with the Great Commission when somebody professes faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. or when somebody's baptized. Uh, that is like the threshold of this ongoing work. So what does that look like for a farmer who comes to Christ or who's in Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to fulfill the cultural mandate and the Great Commission, do that, does that mean he leaves his crops? Yeah. And he just uh, goes up and sits on the street corner preaching, and that, that's, that's the best use of his time? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily. I love agriculture because <laughs> of the art forms. I think it's the most clearly representative of what the cultural mandate is. And then just, I mean, there's obviously the scriptures use agriculture in so many ways to be able to describe what the kingdom of God is. I Mm -hmm. mean, Jesus says this kingdom of God's like a mustard seed. Um, I was just reading in Luke uh, yesterday about um, the, the fig tree, the, the vine, the, the master of the, the vineyard comes and says, I've come out here for three years and it's not born any fruit. Get rid of this tree. And the vine dresser says, no, 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 let me dig around it, put some fertilizer on. So this is so rich. And so I love agriculture as, mm-hmm. a, as a way in which one can fulfill the, the dominion mandate. Uh, but it's so much broader than Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you work in a factory building widgets, um, if you are an artist that, that creates fine art, I mean, uh, what a way to be able to illustrate and show the beauties and the glories of God in this world that he's created, and which he has made for the purpose of reflecting his yeah, glory. Whether right. you write or you paint or you draw or whatever it is. Um, perhaps you are an entrepreneur and you employ people and you... Um, just drive economy. I mean, that that's a massive part of this dominion cultural mandate. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's, it's incredible the ways in which God can be glorified in those things. Yeah. And first Corinthians 10 31 tells us, you know, whatever you do, uh, whether you eat or sleep or eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Okay. If we take that seriously, mm-hmm. then uh, whatever you do, encompasses everything so you know i I coached basketball uh high school girls basketball team for 17 years when my own girls were playing and uh we we adopted that verse as our motto and said okay we need to learn how to play basketball to the glory of god and i'll never forget um there was the circles we were in and the christian schools that we competed against there was one chapel service uh guy said you can't play basketball to the glory of god you know and all the, the whole team turns and looks at me like you're gonna let him say that you know but the argument was well if you can't then you better quit doing it you know because we're mm. supposed to do everything to the glory of god so if you can't do something to the glory of god you better not do it mm-hmm. the point i believe behind that is no every legitimate thing that we find with our hands to do is to be done to God's glory. And so what that means for um, a guy came to Luther one time and said, you know, I love God, I want to honor him, and I'm, I'm a cobbler. What do I do? And he says, make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So for a mom, and, and I, th- I'm a little sensitive to this, you know. And, um, my son's married and, you know, they're got young kids and, four of my daughters are married and they've got uh there's young kids uh, in in that group as well and uh i see them raising these grandchildren of mine now and i don't want 
any of those young mothers or any young mother in our church or anywhere to feel guilty because they're not out there street preaching mm-hmm. or because they're not writing books or articles or are trying to do something that uh, even in the evangelical world today is considered to be, oh, that's really useful. That's really, you know, kind of the mm-hmm. top of the game if you can do that. No, you, you some days you keep little kids alive. That's yeah. you're, you're doing well. But training those children, changing their diapers, loving them, mm-hmm. teaching them the gospel, showing them what uh, someone who honors Christ looks like and living in a home, trying to have a home that is reflective of the goodness and the beauty of God in Christ. That's kingdom work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a particularly applicable uh, to mothers because – uh, especially young mothers, I think often feel like I just don't feel like I do anything that's of real value. Right. I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's really has eternal significance or meaning. Um, and part of that's because of the society that we live in. Uh, many young women, you know, they grow up, they go to college, they train to go into a specific career. They don't end up going into that career. They end up staying home with their children. And again, this is not me saying that you shouldn't go to college or anything like that. Uh, but they're not <laughs> doing... Give, give them your email address. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, so so a, a young woman who's had this idea that she's going to grow up and her life is going to have major significance because she's going to be serving in Doctors Without Borders or she's going to mm. be doing some great thing. Uh, but now she's at home raising four little kids and now and no one really benefits from my work <laughs> and I feel like I got mom brain and all yeah. these things, you know. But... Every, I mean, when you when you begin to see the cultural mandate in this way, everything you do is imbued with eternal significance. Absolutely, particularly Absolutely. a mother. I mean, Absolutely. I mean, we talk about. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that um, the highest calling in in all of humanity is the calling of a mother. Mm. Now, you know, we could take some issue with that, but I'm, he is onto something. Right. I mean, there's hardly anything that's more significant than uh, building a home and raising children. I mean, this is where uh, the glory of God, I think, is displayed more than in any other way with the exception of the preaching of the gospel. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. We wanted to remind you of the Founders National Conference that's coming up next year, January 18th through the 20th. It's a wonderful time to be here in Southwest Florida. We don't get hurricanes that time of year, and it's cold throughout the rest of the country. Our theme for the conference this year is Remember Jesus Christ. So the entire conference will be on the doctrine of Christ, and Dr. Joel Beakey, Tom Askell, Paul Washer, Conrad Mbewe, Travis Allen, Phil Johnson will be our speakers for that conference, and we'll also have a special guest, Allie Beth Stuckey, who will be there to do a live podcast with us as well as a breakout session for the women. So we'd love for you to join us here in Southwest Florida in January for our conference. You can go online and register at founders.org. You know, my, my wife, uh, like your wife, is a nurse. And mm-hmm. so uh, Donna you know, went did the grind for four years, became a bachelor's of uh, nursing and specialized in pediatrics and worked in that for a year and got pregnant and cut back to part-time, had a child, and that she never worked in that field formally. Again, I think it was after our third child was born, our daughter, uh, she had some problems um, in being born, so there was, a, I think, a broken clavicle. And we were seeing a pediatrician, I happened to be with her, and just this new, brand-newborn baby. 
And so he's doing all of his stuff and he's talking and asks Donna, you know, well, what do you do? And, you know, I said, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You know, I was a pediatric nurse, but uh, staying at home. He stopped. He looked. He said, you know, there's a shortage of nurses right now. So we need <laughs> nurses. You know, that, I got so mad. I wanted to slap him, you know, but I, I said, well, you know, there's a greater shortage of mothers mm. right now. And, and we we changed pediatricians. We didn't yeah. go back to that guy again because that's just kind of the mentality of the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're only a mother. Yeah. And what you said is exactly right. So, but mothers, not just mothers, mm-hmm. but mechanics mm-hmm. and uh, salesmen and whatever it is, as Ecclesiastes says, that God in his providence has put you to do. Do it with all your might. Yeah, and the mechanic's work is not valuable just because he can fix the pastor's car. That's right. To get him to church on <laughs> That's time. Right. You know, That's right. It, it, the mechanic's uh, work is valuable no matter what. Yeah. Uh, because it's it's fulfilling this mandate that has been given to us. The, the mechanic's work, even if he's not a Christian, is valuable. But if he is a Christian... Again, that's transformed then into kingdom, kingdom work. work. And yeah. what, what you said earlier, you know, grace does not cancel or destroy nature, but it, it perfects it. I mean, you have to have nature in order for there to be grace. Yeah. Grace presupposes nature. And so we live in this natural world. What are we to do in this natural world? Just because we're saved now does not take away all of our natural responsibilities. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that all of our natural responsibilities are now this low tier of, okay, I got to do this to survive so that I can do the things required of me uh, in the kingdom of God. No, I mean, it's all, uh, it's all required and it's all uh, a privilege and it's, it's a joy. And when you can find where the Lord um, has placed you in the way in which he has developed you and uh, made you into the person that you are in the way that you can best serve in this kingdom. Um, and if you realize that, okay, maybe it's not as a missionary, maybe it's not as a, as a pastor, maybe it's just continuing to work my nine to five. Um, but I really love it and I do it well. I mean, praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Because God uses people in, uh, Every sphere of life, every legitimate vocation can be an honorable way of manifesting the kingdom of God through doing the very best work that you can do, which Paul says, as he's given the household codes in Ephesians and Colossians, that we're to do our work not with eye service, just when the master is watching us, Mm -hmm. but as to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I mean, you think about it. When that mechanic goes to work, if he, as a Christian, realizes, okay, my real boss today is Jesus Christ, and he has this job, and uh, there's uh, maybe another mechanic or his boss comes to him and says, hey, you know what, man, you know, if, you, if you just kind of go ahead and cut this wire that we can charge twice as much. No way, man. I'm mm-hmm. working for Jesus Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. Christ is my Lord. And if he's tempted to just do a half-hearted job because he knows he can get by with it, or a carpenter, I've seen this a lot of times, you know, in building houses, watching that go up around here cutting corners that you paper over that nobody will ever see because you got drywall covering it up. No, I'm Mm -hmm. working for Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this the right way. I'm not going to cut corners for expediency sake. It transforms the way you work and it provides then this platform that, yeah, this is what people who have been born again do. This Mm -hmm. is how we work. Uh, We do this as to the Lord and it benefits you. And Mm so you look at the work, the craftsmanship, and you're grateful for it. You want to thank me. Let me tell you, you ought to be thanking God. Yeah. Well, and it also helps to mitigate some of the curse as well um, that, you know, now Adam has to fulfill 
the mandate uh, with this by the sweat of his brow and thorns and thistles. And there's a lot of it's just hard work and it sucks the joy out of the work mm-hmm. that you do. But if you're able to do the work in light of the fact that this is eternally significant and this is going to bring God glory and the, the same savior who redeemed me wants me to do this in joy. Well, then you can do it in yeah. joy. I mean, I think back to when I was in college, I worked for Chick-fil-A. And I just took such joy in making sure that those fillets were breaded well. Because if you don't <laughs> sift the bread or uh, you know, it gets all crunchy and gross. And I was, th- I thought to myself, you know, this is what the Lord's, this is where the Lord has placed me right now, and I'm going to bread this chicken to the best of my ability. And to this day, I can always tell when they don't bread, uh, sift out that <laughs> breading material. Yeah. Well, I wish I'd gotten this. Uh earlier in my life because I had some jobs where I was just trying to get by and couldn't <laughs> wait for payday. You know, that was, that was the thing with me. But as God has opened my eyes, to this is something I've tried to take into account and help others to see as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was a young minister uh, working at a, a large church in Dallas and we, we had a young businessman and he was really sharp. He was doing a great job in business. And he, you know, through discipleship, <laughs> Bible study, uh, he was growing wonderfully well, and in that church, they had a system of a, a post-sermonic altar call. So, you know, every Sunday after the sermon was finished, there was an invitation for people to walk down front. And uh, one Sunday, I see this young man walking down front, and so I'm a, I'm a, on the staff. I'm not the lead pastor. And the pastor announces to the congregation that, well, here's our uh, brother, and he's surrendering to his life to ministry. So he's going to become, you know, a pastor. And I, I knew the guy. I, mean, I spent hours with the guy, and I'm thinking, what? I, I miss that, man. So anyway, in talking to him, uh, he said, I just, man, I want to serve the Lord. I'm just serious about Christ, and God's opened my eyes to new dimensions with the faith. And uh, so over the next few months, he got enrolled in Bible college and was on his way to seminary and was miserable, Was quit his job mm. and was miserable. And as we were talking, you know, he, he finally just kind of backed out of that. It took him a long time. He felt guilty, like, oh, no, I'm settling for second best. I could be mm. really doing something for the kingdom by being a pastor. But instead, you know, I guess I'm just going to go back to business. And it took him years to get all that mm-hmm. sorted. He, by the, he, he did great, moved away, and stayed in touch with him, and uh, has just been a faithful servant of Christ for all that I know uh, from that time forward. But it kind of encapsulates the misunderstanding that is prevalent in a lot of sectors. You're going to be serious with Christ, then you're going to go be a missionary. Yeah. You know, or you're going to be a pastor. You, you certainly can't be serious for Christ as a businessman. Right. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. So take the mandate of Scripture seriously. Yeah, and, you know, one one other thing that I would add to this is that, um, you know, we don't bring the kingdom in by our own efforts. Um, it's Christ who is the second Adam who is taking dominion. Right? He is the one who's transforming uh, the world that he has created that has fallen into sin and into death. But we can be assured that um, as we proclaim the gospel, as we evangelize, as we disciple, as we engage in missions, as we do our cultural work, through those things, Christ is taking Mm. dominion over this world. Amen. And so the mundane things, the things that you don't think are important, the things that you just do to kind of get by, like, no, Christ is taking dominion through those labors. And so praise God that he's enabled us to be a part of his work in doing that. Amen. Amen. So, 
take the cultural mandate seriously, take the Great Commission seriously, recognize the connection between the two, and that because Christ has come, uh, whatever we do, we can do to the glory of God. And despite our failures and frailties, as we offer up the things that are in accordance to his will, to the best of our ability to Christ, we can know they are acceptable because of what Christ has done. Well, thanks for listening in today to the Sword and Trial. If we can serve you any way with Founders Ministries, please do not hesitate to contact us. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is, is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme over all. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.